I'm Dr. Omar Khan. I'm Dr. Shannon Gowland. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey. And welcome to Vet Sessions. Welcome back to Vet Sessions. My name is Dr. Tiffany Dursey, and I will be your host today. Today, we have Dr. Katie Clow with us here at the podcast studio in Guelph, Ontario, to talk to us about everything ticks. Hi, Katie. Hi. It's great to have you here today. Uh, Katie is an OVC graduate and a former student of mine, actually. She is an assistant professor in the Department of Population Medicine, and she's a veterinarian who focuses on the ecology and epidemiology of vectors and vector-borne zoonosis with a specific emphasis on the black leg tick and Lyme disease. She also conducts research more broadly on One Health. Um, Katie, it's so awesome to have you here today to talk about ticks, especially because we are right into tick season here in Ontario. Absolutely. Don't let the snow outside today fool you. <laughs> <laughs> good, good times. So before we jump into our tick conversation, uh, Katie, can you tell us a little bit more about your veterinary career pathway and how it is that you got to be here at OVC? Oh, yeah. I don't think I have necessarily a linear path. I didn't expect to end up back at OVC, uh, especially when I left after vet school. I was ready to be out and about. But, Absolutely. Um, I did my undergrad or two years of my undergrad at, um, in biomedical sciences at the University of Guelph. And then I um, jumped into OVC. I graduated in 2011. Right. And then I spent uh, about a year and a half in private practice predominantly uh, at a rural practice in Renfrew, Ontario. So I got to see kind of everything under the sun. Awesome. Um, And then I spent some time at the Canadian Food Inspection Agency in Ottawa and then came back and did my PhD at Guelph. When I left OVC, I thought maybe I would come back for some sort of graduate work. Um, I had done some work um, during vet school with internships in sort of public health and One Health. And so I really had an interest there, but wasn't really sure what my fit was. Mm -hmm. And going out in practice and having some government experience, I think I really was drawn to research and teaching. And so I came back and did my PhD. And by then I was hooked and OVC nice. hasn't been able to get rid of me. So that's fantastic. And so, um, so technically you're a pathologist. I'm, so I trained in pathobio. Yes, okay, I remember that. Um, which kind of, I did disease ecology and epidemiology. So okay. I don't know what my label is. Okay, okay. <laughs> Population medicine. Yeah. <laughs> Fanta- and everything ticks. You're, yes. you're a tickologist. There we go. I like that. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, And so uh, ticks, obviously very important insects, something that we are very concerned about, especially because if you talk to me like say five or six Mm -hmm. years ago, um, being here in Guelph, I'd say, oh, we don't have any ticks here in Guelph. Um, And certainly that conversation has changed Mm -hmm. immensely. Um, And so before we even jump into that, um, I did want to uh, mention that this episode of Vet Sessions is generously sponsored by OVC Pet Trust. And OVC Pet Trust is founded or was founded in 1986 at the Ontario Veterinary College. It's Canada's first charitable fund dedicated to improving and advancing companion animal health and well-being. 
And in fact, um, they do a lot of groundbreaking research uh, and discovery uh, to improve companion animal health. And Dr. Katie Clow, you're uh, an OVC pet trusted, uh, trust funded researcher. And so um, we wanted to know a little bit more about your research because as I understand, you just finished doing a big study. So, yeah, so, so I've been fortunate to have uh, several studies funded by Pet Trust, which has been really great, especially early on in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the first studies and a study we just wrapped up was a big national study on ticks across Canada. So we okay. collected ticks um, from over 90 veterinary practices for an entire year. So any tick that came in was submitted to our study. Um, we got over... 4,500 ticks submitted, which was huge. Yeah, it was a lot of time at my stereoscope, but uh, I I really brushed up on my tick identification. I can imagine. Um, And then a lot of those ticks were also tested for tick-borne pathogens. And so the study really aimed to provide sort of locally relevant tick data for veterinary practitioners and data on tick-borne pathogens. And then across the season, so to look at seasonal fluctuations. And so the study ran 2019 to 2020. Um, We had some delays because it wrapped up in March 2020. So, you know, it was good timing (laughs) with the onset of the pandemic. But um, I've had some fabulous students work with me and a master's student who just finished up. So we have a couple of publications that have come out that have looked at sort of the spatial distribution of different tick species um, and the pathogens that are present in them. And certainly, then, as the numbers suggest, there is a growing risk of tick bites and tick-borne disease in Canada for our companion animals. Wow. Now, were you surprised that you collected that many ticks? Because, again, I'm, I, I guess I'm a little shocked <laughs> over that period of time. Because at the time, in 2019, you said you started yeah. this study? Yeah. Um, you, were, you were still kind of, you know, oh, I don't know. Are there, like, what's the ticks? You know, I was so like, definitely surprised. Okay. <laughs> and I think, you know, it was one of the first studies that I had led in my research career. And mm-hmm. so we just kind of hit the ground running with all those tick samples and, um we were able to get support along the way to do infographics and educational materials for vets. And so we're still working really hard to translate all that data out to veterinarians as well. Great. So so what is the tick situation right now in Guelph uh, or in Ontario in general? And uh, do we need to be concerned about this? As, yeah. So uh, Ontario, um, in addition to sort of that study, and in, we've been doing long-term monitoring, doing field sampling for ticks, um, We've seen significant changes over a short time period in Mm -hmm. Ontario. So certainly the black-legged tick or what other people call the deer tick, Exodes scapularis is the scientific name, um, is the the biggest risk in Ontario. You know, if we go back to, you know, the mid-1990s, we really had one small population of these guys down around Long Point. Right. And now, you know, we've seen rapid range expansion into originally it was just sort of along the north shores of lake erie lake ontario into the Mm -hmm. st lawrence river um and now that's sort of expanded outward um eastern ontario is a significant hot spot and ongoing expansion we've seen a lot of sort of northward expansion in toronto north of toronto barry aurelia and then hamilton and sort of creeping north into guelph unfortunately um we're seeing populations pop up 
Wow. Yeah. Cause I can remember back in the day we used to say Turkey point, long point mm-hmm. and point Peely were kind of like that. And then, um, as you suggested, you know, Ottawa, Kingston were sort of big, um, and then some patches near, near Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so basically a lot of Ontario at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and is it, um, I know you mentioned Exodes or the black leg tick. Um, and, and that one is more pertinent for mm-hmm. Lyme disease. Um, other types of ticks that we're seeing here that we need to be concerned. So we, the American dog tick is, right. has been in Ontario for, for quite a while. Um, there's some evidence to support that the populations are expanding a little bit. These still, when we test these ticks, we don't find anything significant in them, which is okay. really good. good. Um, the story is different in the United States. And so we keep monitoring them because we have established populations and so we, we could have an introduction of some sort of risk. And we don't fully understand why our populations don't seem to have many pathogens in them. And so it's something that we're still monitoring. Those are the two that are significant for companion animal species. There's other species that we're, we don't have established here, but are very close to our borders that we're keeping an eye on because they also pose risks. Okay. And then are they pretty easy to discern between the brown dog tick and the black leg tick? I'm, so I think yes, do that? Yeah. but I also <laughs> have looked at <laughs> thousands. thousands of tick species so uh, or thousands of tick samples. Um, the American dog tick is pretty big and it has a pattern sputum. So its back has sort of right. like a modeling on it versus the black leg tick has um, sort of a has a, an inornate sputum as we call it. So it's right. there's no patterning on it because there's also, so I mentioned these two tick species, but we have 10 plus tick species that exist in Ontario. Really? Um, and they don't, and then the number could actually be higher than that. We tick, some ticks like to feed on all sorts of things. We call them sort of indiscriminate feeders. And so the black-legged tick is one of them. And we find them on people and dogs and they can transmit pathogens. So we talk about right. them a lot. There are other tick species that, you know, live in groundhog nests. And so we don't really see them and we don't, then they don't necessarily pose a risk to us. So we don't talk okay. about them very often occasionally they can be found on a person or a dog and so that's when id gets a little more challenging okay and once they're fed they turn into big gray blobs and then they're very hard, hard to, identify. to identify yeah right and so getting back to the black leg tick um and i, I guess lyme disease mm-hmm. would be the biggest one are there other diseases other than lyme that we need to be concerned about with that or so at, at the black legged tick is a pretty nasty tick and that it can carry several things that can make animals or people sick so certainly um the bacteria that causes lyme disease is by far the most prevalent. Okay. Um, and in in some areas, you know, 60 to 80% of the ticks can be carrying it. And so it's a significant risk. Yeah. Um, anaplasmosis, so anaplasma phagocytophilum. Mm-hmm. Um, there's several species of anaplasmosis, but that one can cause disease in humans, dogs, uh, cats, and horses. We used to see it very rarely now we're sort of seeing pockets in eastern ontario where it's creeping up a little bit still low like under 10 percent, but enough that we know that risk is changing there's other pathogens that are human specific so poison virus uh there's a babesia uh microti okay 
um, and a few others that we th- we worry about particularly in people, but don't cause disease in companion animals. Okay, because as, as I recall too, um, speaking to clients about tick protection, um, again, a good idea, and we mm-hmm. can talk about you know when and mm-hmm. how long and that kind of thing in a minute, um, but certainly um, for the protection of the pet, but also for the protection of people, because as Absolutely. I understand, like dogs could bring them into the house mm-hmm. and the, talk, the tick could jump on the person, and so mm-hmm. that's, um, that's a, a, b- a big concern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's always a, a helpful conversation to have because you know, if the dog was somewhere where they picked up the tick, the human was probably, probably quite close to them. And so that shared exposure is really important to talk about. For sure. So um, so tell us a little bit about Lyme disease. What um, what, what should we know? How do we prevent it? What do we do about it? Should we, should we be worried? Yeah, so Lyme disease is recognized in humans, dogs, and horses um, to sort of our knowledge base. There's a little bit of, we see... Cats can seroconvert, but we really don't know much about whether there's clinical disease or not. So we, there's still a lot of questions surrounding cats, but okay. from what we know, it's it's not a big concern. Okay. Um, humans by far are the most susceptible. So most people that are exposed do develop clinical disease. Um, the tick needs to feed for a certain amount of time for transmission of the bacteria to happen. It actually lives in the gut of the tick, it migrates up, and then it is in the salivary glands. And so when a tick is feeding, that's when transmission can happen. And all the evidence points to, you know, 24 hours and beyond is when transmission happens, which is good because it gives us a little window of time between tick bite, removing the tick, and there being risk. Right. Dogs are a little different than people, so they can be exposed and they don't necessarily develop clinical disease. So we see... Estimates like 90% of dogs will seroconvert, so have evidence of antibodies to the bacteria, but don't show evidence of clinical disease. Um, As you know, for dogs, Mm -hmm. we worry about sort of the presentation when they, you know, they're just not doing well, they're not eating, fever, and the shifting lameness, which is sort of a very characteristic Lyme disease presentation. So being, you know, not walking well on one leg and then the next day it's a different leg. It's sort of one of those light bulb moments. So maybe we should Should test test. for Lyme disease. Okay. Um, And then the sort of, I think for most veterinarians, the scary aspect of Lyme disease is the protein losing nephropathy, which is really rare. um, But we don't have any good way to predict it and know which dog's going to be affected. And the the fatality rate of it is quite high. And so um, dogs that are treated that have, you know, shifting lameness, fever, generally recover very well and quickly on antibiotics, but the the kidney failure um, aspect is, is quite scary. Yeah, it's very scary. Mm-hmm. And so, so hence um, trying to prevent the tick from mm-hmm. attaching for more than 24 hours. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. okay. So insofar, and there's lots of different products and today we don't need to necessarily talk mm-hmm. about which product is superior, but, um, but tick protection, um, and certainly Absolutely. there's so many exciting, um, pharmaceuticals mm-hmm. on the market. So, um, in Ontario, um, you know, we used to tell people maybe to put their dog on a prevention, a tick preventative for maybe about six months, June to no- November. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we say to them now? Because it sounds like, gosh, I don't know if that's the right recommendation anymore. Yeah. So standardized recommendations can be so hard. You know, our Mm -hmm. winter was so strange this year. It really was. was. cold and then warm and people were pulling ticks off their dogs in January and February. 
And so certainly tick prevention is is the number one front line. We want to prevent uh, tick bites. It not only protects against Lyme disease, but any other tick-borne disease that we're thinking about. Um, generally, if we're thinking Ontario, certainly, so black-legged tick activity, um, the adults peak in the spring and the fall. Spring and the fall. And then the nymphs, which are sort of the immature teenager life stages, I call them, are sort of June, July. Adults, it can be hard to predict when that season starts. And so there's laboratory data that shows that tick activity increases four degrees and above. I find the four degree difficult for knowledge translation because Mm -hmm. it's four degrees essentially at the level of the tick. And so we have microclimates in forests. If the sun's shining on a, you know, a nice day, a tick might be active. And it's not like we look at our watch and say, oh, it's now four degrees, the ticks are out. And so generally I say, you know, when it's not freezing anymore, we need to start thinking about tick prevention um, so that we, we are prepared when that, when they become active and come out. Um, you know, this year, if someone in Southern Ontario chose to keep their dog on tick prevention all year long, it wouldn't have been a bad choice because our winter Mm -hmm. was so strange. Um, generally starting in April is a pretty sound bet going out until November. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in Ontario, we're probably getting to the nine to 10 months, depending on where you are in Ontario. Um, and depending on the year. There's other things that we can add on in tick prevention. So if it's, you know, if you're in the, it's the winter time and you're not keen on having your dog on a tick preventative, you know, avoiding tick habitat. So with black-legged ticks, we're thinking wooded, brushy areas. So staying on the trail and keeping your dog's head out of the brush for those times where it's a little bit warmer is a, is a good idea. And then doing tick checks. So making sure you're looking for, you come back inside and, uh, disguise it as a really good belly rub and head scratch, but making sure that you're checking all of those places for ticks um, is another thing to kind of add on um, to to prevent tick bites. Absolutely. And uh, we often will tell people that to look between the toes, look in the mm-hmm. ears, um, look on themselves, yeah. that kind of thing. Yep. Um, one question that people often ask is that, okay, so they unfortunately find a tick um, on their pet um, and then they get all kind of um, squirmy mm-hmm. about it, but they decide that they want to uh, pull it off. Um, and I have been told that you shouldn't pull it off and squish it because if you squish it then you might be susceptible to the lime i don't know if you have any comments on that but 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 maybe you should you know drown it in alcohol or throw it down the toilet or something yeah Ticks are incredibly hard to kill um i wouldn't recommend squishing it um because you can you know you get exposed to whatever you're getting squished on um but you can flush them down the toilet. You can put them in hand sanitizer. Like alcohol okay. is an effective way to, to, to kill, kill them. them. Like most people don't necessarily, we put all our samples in 70% ethanol, but that's not something you have in yeah, your true. in your home cabinet. But um, alcohol, like rubbing alcohol or um, hand sanitizer will work. Right. Um, it's always good if you do pull a tick off to take a photo. Okay. Um, so, and kind of record the date when it was. There's etic.ca, which is a really great free website um, that anyone can submit a photo of a tick and find out what it is. And that's kind of like the first step in a risk assessment. Is this a tick species I need to worry about? Um, And all the samples that actually in Ontario, 
all the samples that come off of uh, companion animals come to the University of Guelph. So the oh, images amazing. are identified here. Yeah. And is that something you'll look at more ticks then? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Lots more ticks. <laughs> Fantastic. So, so yeah, you're right. So I guess from a risk identification perspective mm-hmm. is number one, yeah. was it the right type of tick? Absolutely. To, yeah, yeah. Because the brown dog tick, American dog tick, um, cannot transmit Lyme Correct. disease. It's got to be the black leg tick. Yeah. So A, do you have the right tick? Yeah. Um, so then you've got the right tick. Um, and, and then the next step is, did it attach for more than than 24 hours so usually it can be there's not really any good guide out there that we have that you know you can measure the tick and and do that but essentially you say if it's still flat yeah it's probably not fed if it's fat we need to worry about it right those big fat juicy gray gray ones yeah Yeah. and sometimes people will come in and they actually think it's a wart or um and and then we realize no it's actually yeah yeah for sure (laughs) um and then as i recall um um, one of the best things to do is to wait at least 30 days Mm -hmm. um and then typically we can do a blood test um there is a test that tests for three different tick-borne diseases Mm -hmm. so tests for lyme disease anaplasma or lichia uh and heartworm disease Mm -hmm. um, which is a, a different transmitted by mosquitoes yep. but nonetheless um and then we can find out you know potentially um if they are positive but if they're positive it just means that they've been exposed and this is the tricky part right absolutely so exposure doesn't necessarily translate into disease and we have no good test that tells us based on what that dog's antibody levels look like if that's going to translate to disease and so it really comes down to a lot of owner education about what to look for sure so you know you know your dog's been bitten by a tick, you know it's a black-legged tick, you know, you know, that in most areas of Ontario, we have the bacteria that causes Lyme disease circulating in that tick population. And so as soon as you notice something like a shifting lameness, or even, you know, your dog just seems off, more lethargic, Mm -hmm. um, that's a really good time to, to speak to the veterinarian and think about, could this be Lyme disease? Right. Um, and then getting back to, to cats. So you, you sort of mentioned that with cats, um, you know, we do recommend um, prevention for mm-hmm. fleas and ticks for, you know, particularly for outdoor cats. Mm-hmm. Um, indoor cats would be less at risk. Um, any idea, you know, w- why it is that cats are less susceptible or um, just not studied well or any comments on cats? So I don't know why cats are less susceptible. Mm-hmm. Um I am a very big supporter of tick prevention for cats. In our national study that we did, um, we collected ticks off of cats and dogs. And there was a a surprising number of cats in our study. I may have mistaken the number, but I think it was close to 15% of the samples we received were from cats. Which And some of them were indoor cats. And so whether... Um, you know, there was also a dog in the household and, you know, they brought some ticks in or whether the cat was an indoor cat that went outside occasionally. Um, but we are finding ticks on cats and, and certainly, so we don't worry about Lyme disease as much as far as we know. Um, we know that they can seroconvert. So there is evidence of exposure, but linking that to any clinical disease hasn't been particularly strong. Um, but they are susceptible to anaplasmosis. And so okay. that's a, a good reason to think about um, using a tick, tick prevention, prevention on your cat. And I guess there's always a possibility that the tick would then jump off and potentially bite the person as well. So if they're, you know, if it's an outdoor cat, probably. Yeah. So if a, if a tick hasn't found uh, a place to latch on onto an animal yet, it can certainly, you know, in that those head snuggles with your cat decide to 
to hop onto you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, and then tell me um, about uh, your any thoughts about Lyme vaccination or any comments uh, about that. I know sometimes people will, um, you know, inquire about, you know, should I vaccinate for Lyme? Um, and of course, you know, we do have to look at the individual pet mm-hmm. and where they're going and mm-hmm. what they're doing and that type of thing. Um, and tick prevention has often been sort of our first push. Yeah, yeah it's a really common question that I get. And I think... Um, vets are kind of divided across the board and there actually isn't really good consensus. We do have good Lyme vaccinations out there for dogs. Um, And certainly if you had to choose tick prevention or Lyme vaccine, and and we know that there are always sort of financial considerations and all of those things, tick prevention all the way. Um, And Lyme, the Lyme vaccine generally comes down to thinking about really high risk animals. So you have animals that are out in the woods all the time in really heavily infested areas. It's just another tool to add on into that toolbox. The question becomes, you know, if you're not in a really heavy area where maybe exposure is high and we know a lot of dogs might not develop clinical disease, is there a significant benefit to it? Um, there's been a, a systematic review that was actually done at the University of Guelph, um, not by me, but other researchers that looked at the Lyme vaccination. And we just need sort of more studies with bigger sample size to really evaluate, you know, the impact of using it. Sure. And so, like I said, it's another tool in the toolbox and certainly in high risk areas. Um, it's it's a good choice for many young animals, but just like any vaccine, it also needs to be kept up with with the boosters to make sure that that protection lasts. Absolutely. So any predictions about where ticks are going? And so do you see them spreading fully across Ontario? Do you, um, uh, with your study, was that something that you, you um, commented on? Yeah, so there's there's been quite a lot of modeling work that's been done looking at tick spread, not only for the black-legged tick, but other tick species that we worry about coming in, like the Lone Star tick and the Asian longhorn tick. And a lot of those models take into account climate change projections. So ticks are very uh, reliant on temperature and humidity, and they have a specific ecological niche that they live in. And we know that with our climate warming, that ecological niche is shifting northward. And so we have areas that previously weren't suitable that are now suitable. And we have migratory birds are great at disseminating ticks every year. And so we have, you know, this large seed every year of ticks being put into areas which weren't suitable before, but are now suitable. And so certainly, um, I think there's, there's still, uh, range like into northern Ontario where we don't see that happening but in a lot of element or a lot of places in southern Ontario um, in suitable habitat so we think forested brushy areas so certainly we're not going to be finding them on a you know a well manicured lawn in the middle of Toronto sure Um, but in suitable areas we think that a lot of Ontario is at risk which means a large proportion of the Ontario population is at risk of exposure. Um, and were there any other um, thoughts on why the ticks have grown in in frequency or incidence over the and, and same with Lyme? You know, I don't recall, you know, 20 years ago, this mm-hmm. being a thing here yeah. in Ontario. Yeah, I think the biggest driver we really see is climate change. And it's a big conversation in a lot of vector borne diseases mm-hmm. um, because we've 
had suitable habitats for for a long time. Certainly, sure. Ontario has lots of lovely forested areas yeah. that we like to go into. Um, and then as our tick populations grow, we then have a local seed to help reintroduce mm-hmm. ticks further and further. Uh, wildlife are good at moving ticks around as well. And so we kind of have this, you know, knock on effect, essentially. Mm-hmm. I, I have heard um, some some people will comment and say, well, I don't really have any deer around my mm-hmm. house. So, you know, why would I have this tick? But mm-hmm. but obviously, like you just mentioned, it could be from migratory birds or it could be, I mean, just mm-hmm. one deer. Um, um, can you comment on the, the, the life cycle of the black leg tick? Or? Yeah, so... As I had mentioned earlier, this tick species is happy to feed on many things. Whatever has blood, it's happy to feed on it. Um, It does have preferred hosts depending on the life stage. So the larvae, which are sort of the baby tick, they hatch out of the egg, like to feed on smaller things, ground-dwelling things. So small mammals, ground-dwelling birds. Um, And this is actually an important part if we think about the disease cycle because ticks are they're not born with the bacteria. They have to get it by feeding on a reservoir. And so white-footed mice and chipmunks are the primary reservoir. And so because they like to feed on them, it's sort of a built-in mechanism for pathogen transmission. Um, When they molt to the nymphal life stage, which is the teenager, they will feed on still some of those smaller ground-dwelling mammals. We do find them more on people, Um, We don't find them a lot on dogs, whether that's because they're so small that we just don't recognize them. They're about the size of a sesame seed until they feed or if, you know, it's just not their preferred host. Mm -hmm. Um, And then as adults, they generally will feed on big things. And the reason for that is the female needs to take um, a pretty big blood meal to support egg development. And so the preferred host is the deer, the white-tailed deer. Um, they actually don't have anything to do with the transmission cycle of the bacteria. They don't, uh, the bacteria doesn't survive in their blood, but deer get a bad rap because (laughs) the adults love to feed on them and they're really important for abundant tick populations. But in the absence of deer or in lower deer population areas, there are still other things, other wildlife species, dogs, you, me, that the ticks can feed on. And so Deer are very good for the tick population, but they're not an absolute requirement and they can find other things to feed on if they didn't have a deer to feed on. Okay. So, uh, so basically, uh, again, uh, good t- prevention um, yes. for dogs, uh, making sure that you inspect them after you've gone for a long walk and potentially inspecting yourself. Yes. Um, and it looks like we're approaching a, you know, almost year round tick prevention, mm-hmm. um, considering, you know, certainly a Lyme uh, vaccine for those that are um, at risk yep. um, and talking to your veterinarian about that. Mm-hmm. And then, and then looking for clinical symptoms and testing. Um, with Lyme disease, uh, any any other comments about your know, any research uh, with ticks and Lyme that are in your future or future questions that you would like to um, have answered about ticks in Ontario and Lyme disease or other diseases? Yeah, I think there's there's still a lot of unknowns on the veterinary medicine side of Lyme disease. Certainly. Um, my, my area is not in test development or anything like that, but knowing more about how can we detect it and are there markers to know about who's going to become clinical or not. Right. 
not in my future, but I think that it, yeah. that would be a really important area. Absolutely. So Katie, we've talked a little bit about the black leg tick, um, but tell me um, anything else that you, interesting that you'd like to tell us about ticks in general. Yeah. So I think there are some scary, um, but interesting, if you research ticks, potential upcoming species that we need to pay attention to. So there's a lot in the media about the Lone Star Tick and we yeah, have, um, you know, occasional sightings, sightings as we call them, sure. um, of, of this tick. And we know, again, with climate change that many areas of southern Ontario are suitable for this tick species. Um, and so I think that will be an important area for surveillance for us to continue monitoring um, and we do a lot of field work around the province. And so making sure that we're targeting areas and picking up the, the tick if it does come in. And then the other one, which we don't think about as much in companion animals, but um, is posing a larger risk for um, our livestock species in the States is the Asian longhorn tick, which is an invasive tick species. And a lot of us in Canada are concerned it could easily come here um and so again doing more surveillance field monitoring um having submissions come through etic and and seeing right. seeing what's out there could provide us with sort of an early signal if things are changing and those um, um tick species that we don't have so the two that you talked about um is it because they transmit uh other diseases that we don't want or is it because they're just pesky or what is it about a couple them? of reasons so the lone star tick is particularly aggressive so there's okay. actually two we two sort of feeding behaviors of ticks so we have the ambush type tick which the black-legged tick falls into where they climb up onto vegetation and just kind of wait there and they can sense a host by carbon dioxide and heat and if you've ever seen those photos of of the legs reaching yes, out yes on so, a blade of grass yes. there's like a little tick waiting on a blade of grass absolutely this, so yes. it's just sitting there questing waiting. as we yeah. call it okay so a little bit more passive and then there's hunter type ticks, which actually like they can sense carbon dioxide and then they move towards and sort of hunt the host Ooh, down. That's scary. It is scary. Um, and I've actually been told in heavily infested areas in the States, you can actually hear the grass rustle towards you because oh there's so gosh. many ticks. So that kind of oh freaked gosh, me out. Crazy. Yeah. Um, hopefully that won't come. Yikes. But so the Lone Star tick is, is one of those sort of aggressive okay. type ticks. It can transmit things to people and pets that that make them sick. And so certainly we're worried in that context as well. Um, the Asian longhorn tick, it is a concern for a couple reasons. And so one being um, it can transmit pathogens, particularly to cattle. So it can cause tyleriosis in cattle, which is something, you know, we don't really see here. Okay. Um, it's a production limiting disease. And then um, they actually have really high infestation levels. And so they can actually cause anemia or oh, exsanguination wow. because the infestations are so high. So, oh my gosh, uh, yeah, kind of scary to think about infestation levels of ticks that high. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it has been documented in the states. Absolutely. You know, um, I lived in the Cayman Islands for ten years and mm. practiced there, and I remember we had the American dog tick, and I can remember some dogs coming in with like literally thousands of ticks, yeah. and we'd have to shave them off, and yeah. they'd be so anemic. Mm -hmm. So obviously, from a livestock perspective, um, not good for production. No, no. no. So how do we prevent these ticks from coming into Canada? So that's really that's hard, and I, <laughs> you know, I'm very pro prevention, but I'm not yeah. sure we can. Um, 
you know, we have a lot of movement of people and animals and wildlife mm-hmm. that we, we just can't control across our borders. And so there's probably not a great way to prevent them. And we know that once ticks kind of get established, they're, they're stubborn. We don't have good environmental controls that sort of, you know, just target ticks that we would want to use on a widespread level. And so really the tools in our toolbox come down to tick prevention, mm-hmm. um, which can be really challenging, right? And Absolutely. so we don't have a way of preventing them from coming, but ideally we're hoping that, you know, we have a, a pretty strong network of tick researchers and those in public health and animal health that do surveillance and submit samples. And so if something happens, we hope to notice it early so we can kind of get tick prevention on board and, and prevent yeah. any sort of massive yeah, spread. outbreaks or something. Yeah. yeah, it sounds very scary. So especially, I've never heard of like the <laughs> Sorry, ambush I'm versus not meant the, to scare yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it sounds very devious. But I know a lot of people obviously don't like seeing ticks because they're yeah. kind of ugly and yeah. pesky and that kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Um, anything, any other comments that you would uh, like to tell us about either your research, feature research, or where where you're at? Oh, Every, there's so much ticks. to talk about about ticks. I know. But I think those is, are. Is that your favorite insect? I would guess. So. You know, ticks kind of creep me out. Like, I'm not going to say that, you know, I enjoy seeing them. And yeah. I certainly don't enjoy seeing them on myself or my pets. Yeah. Um, but I find their ecology and life cycle and it's all fascinating. It's incredibly mm-hmm. complex. And so from sort of an epidemiology and ecology perspective, it's just incredibly fascinating so well and as a practitioner i always find that it's interesting because with lyme disease it's one of those um uh, interesting diseases that uh you can you can treat it but somehow it doesn't always get eliminated or it is eliminated and sometimes it can come back so Mm -hmm. yeah and dogs can be reinfected yep right right so so having kind of your your, you're watching out all the time to make sure that they don't get infected and of course the implications for uh, for one health public health you Mm -hmm. know people people making sure so um, well i really appreciate your coming today to talk to us about ticks Um, and it sounds like you've got some exciting things to study uh, going forward so the story in the saga about ticks in ontario and in canada is not is not complete no unfortunately (laughs) but thank you for having me today (laughs) absolutely and so um certainly as we're entering sort of what we call our parasite season Mm -hmm. uh you know we certainly encourage people to talk to their veterinarian about what options are available for their pets Uh, and it sounds like life livestock as well obviously so we've Mm -hmm. got to be watching out and watching out for themselves um so thank you again for coming today katie um to our guests thank you for listening today if you have any further questions or ideas please send us an email to vet sessions at hotmail.com you can also follow us on instagram at vet sessions and we'll see you next time on vet sessions thanks for joining us